So I've sort of been wrestling this afternoon as to what, the what. It's always a bit of a wrestle with the what. When you've got quite a bit to share, it's always what do you want to say. And we're going to look at Revelation 19.7 and 9. And then um, probably speak it next Sunday morning. And there's always so much, so it'll be new again next Sunday. But also want to do create a dialogue and interaction of not just me speaking, but this two-way thing because... There's so much that's being prophesied right now. There's so much that's being declared. And it's essential that we grapple and wrestle for the reality that is being shared rather than it just sort of going over our heads and sort of going, well, that was really interesting. And then life continues like it always has. And so I wouldn't mind like for the first two or three minutes just sort of maybe a bit of grapple, bit of wrestle, bit of, you know, WWE with one another and just like what did you hear from this morning and we've got a mic maybe somewhere Jay's got a mic and so let's interact let's grapple what what, what was it that you're hearing and it might be something that through this the Spirit's saying what are you being made aware of in your own relationship with him like what is he saying to you about where you're at with him you know, like the seeing things that are invisible. Like that's not a statement we should just go, Oh yeah, cool. It's like what? Like what? You see things that are invisible? Yeah. So I'd love to just have five minutes and just wrestle with you guys. <laughs> Now, Warren, you must have changed your mind, bro, because three weeks ago you said, Greg, I love your preaching, but I hate your shirt. <laughs> so is it, is, it, is it wearing on you, eh? It's wearing on you. Oh, it's, like, it's like country music. It's starting to wear everybody down. It's like... Yeah, I love it. Come on, then, get up here. Let's have a wrestle. <laughs> so there's Fiverr for starters. <laughs> My shit. <laughs> I oh, love you, man. You're awesome. Someone have a question? So this morning you were speaking on mindsets, and you said a particular thing that um, I'm just going to say that I don't have a good understanding of. You were speaking of the double-minded man and how he can't enter in. Um, I didn't get a good understanding of that because it was so brief. If you could expand on that yeah, so it gives me sure. something. Yep. So in James it says, you know, you don't receive because you don't ask. And then it talks about asking with the right motive. So there's, you don't enter because you're not asking. It's fascinating in John 4, where Jesus says to the woman, if you knew who was in front of you, you'd be asking for something. And this is the challenge. It's like Jesus can be right in front of you. The word can be right in front of you. But because you're not hearing it, you're not asking, what is that? And unpacking that stuff. So it says that we are called to ask. It says, ask, seek, and knock which is not a one-off thing. It's an asking and a seeking and a knocking. It's a knocking and an asking and a seeking. It's a continuous process because everything is concealed. So if you want answers, what do you do? You ask. Children are perfect at saying one word called why. Why, why, why. They're curious. They want to know why. And so it says you don't receive because you don't ask. Now, when you ask, you must ask with the right motive. 
Because the selfish desire, lust, and then there's his desire, which is love. And so you might be asking, but if you're asking for personal gain, meaning self-gain, then that gets in the way of you receiving as well. Okay, And then it talks about, the next part is about the man who is double-minded receives nothing. So the man that's yes, no, no, yes, not sure, doesn't receive anything, which is about a conviction of heart, isn't it? There's one thing I respect about the Pharisee who killed Jesus is they killed Jesus. They were true to their convictions. They were single-minded. They were going the wrong way, but they were single-minded and true to their conviction. There was no hypocrisy in them. What they actually believed, they lived out. They said, you're not the son of God. That's blasphemy. Crucify him. So from their perspective, they were single-minded and lived that out. They were just going completely the wrong way. So a man that sits on the fence or a woman, well, I'll put a 50 there and a 50 there to both back, back both camps. Double-mindedness. So there's a single-mindedness, the mind of Christ. You can't have your mind and his mind. He wants you to have his mind. So the wrestle is my mind must be renewed, otherwise I'm going to be double-minded. So there's two minds going on in my head. Well, that's confusion, isn't it? But God's not the God of confusion. So it's the willingness to sacrifice your entire being, which starts at the heart. So Romans 12 verse 1 is the heart. Romans 12 verse 2 is the mind. So Romans 12 verse 1, who can tell me what it says? Sorry, what's that? In view of God's mercy, give yourself, lay your life down as a living sacrifice. So in view of God's mercy, in the sight of his mercy and everything he's done and how he's loving you, give your heart to God, which is the epicenter of who we are as a people. The control systems is all in the heart, inside. So you've got to lay all that down. In view of his mercy, how incredible he is and his mercifulness towards you. So that's the heart issue. The second part is the mind issue, which says what? So it tells you, do not be conformed to the patterns of the world, but be transformed through the renewing of your mind. See how mind's number two, heart's number one. So if you don't give him your heart, it's very hard to get your mind renewed because the heart's the controlling system. So there's an order to it. So if you do that, you give him your life, you lay you down, because Jesus says, I don't need your sacrifices, I don't need your work offerings, I want you. So before you bring all those things, which I don't need, I want your heart. So lay your heart down on the altar so I can go to work on it, so then I can renew your mind. So then you will no longer be double-minded. You will have my mind and you will think like me, which means you, you will see into the unseen realm and you will know it and you will live from it. So 1 Corinthians 3.16, Paul said, I have the mind of Christ, but what defines that is everything he said before it. So you can't just claim to have the mind of Christ if you don't have the mind of Christ. You have the potential because the seed of the Holy Spirit lives in you. And the Holy Spirit wants to renew your mind so what you say you have, so then you live from that, so you're no longer double-minded. 
You are not a yes, no. You are a yes, yes, yes. You have an absolute conviction, an absolute confidence in Christ, and you live from that place. So when someone comes and throws a curly one at you, you're not like, is that true? Is it not true? Because there's not two minds going on. It's his mind and you go, that's false. That's true. Which creates oneness in the body. Hence it says we all have to have the mind of the spirit. So we're all to have the same mind, which is his mind. Wow, I thought we were all supposed to have diversity. Well, yeah, there is diversity within unity, but that's true unity, not conformity. Well, that sounds a bit cultish. No, it's called kingdom. So we are all to think exactly the same, but that's his mindset, not my mindset. So when you think of the areas of life, how does he think about family? How does he think about how he builds the church? How does he think about his kingdom design and patterns? How does he think about money? How does he think about the giftings? See, if we don't have his mind, we are double-minded. We have partly maybe his and maybe some of ours. And it's like yin and yang, which isn't good in the kingdom which is just one way. It's not black and white, it's white. And so we must have and be singular-minded with a singular focus. And that's where all the freedom is. That's where the true diversity of everything is because in that you allow the giftings to operate, but it operates as one. Because everyone can see it as one, and now we're not fighting over individual ministries trying to establish ourselves in something. We're just all bond servants serving him and one another. Does that help, Eddie? <laughs> Great question. It's an absolute fruit of being double-minded. Yep. So lukewarm is a fruit of being double-minded. So either be cold with a singular mindset or be hot with a singular mindset, but don't be lukewarm going, well, I'll sign that and I'll believe a bit of that and I'll have a bit of that and I'll have a bit of that. There's only one mind. There's only one God. And so, yes, be hot for Christ. Burn on the inside, but you don't burn up. It's cool, eh? Fire on the inside, but you actually just burn brighter. And so the more you have his mindset, the more you're seeing everything in him. The Bible says that God has more thoughts for his people than the grain of sand. You imagine five thoughts of how he thinks of you renewed in your mind through the power of the Holy Spirit, how that's going to change your life. See, the reason why we get in trouble is because we don't have his mindset. So that we see family through the eyes of the flesh and we start building our own family empires. And then someone might come along from the kingdom and say, you're not my family. The ones doing the will of the Father are my family. So the ones building their own empire, they're not my family. Isn't that what Jesus said? He said, the ones doing my Father's will are my family. How insulting is that? Well, only if you have the mind of man. That's not insulting to the mind of Christ because that's the mindset of Christ. That's the way of God. 
So we have to check ourselves because so often we get offended and it's because our mindsets are earthly. And someone's speaking a kingdom mindset and you're trying to understand that through a flesh mindset going, that's not right. Because it doesn't fit inside your box because it's outside of your mind. I love what Todd White said. They say, you're out of your mind, Todd. He says, no, I'm out of yours. (laughs) I'm not outside of God's mindset. Mine and God's are one. I'm just outside of yours because it's a thinking. This is why thinking is the battlefield, isn't it? The mind and the heart, but the mind, the thought processes is where depression and all those things are, worry, anxiety. That's why Jesus says, why are you worrying about tomorrow? Tomorrow has enough worry of its own. What is that? It's what you're focusing on. It's what you think about, isn't it? If you can worry, you can worry in Christ. Meaning you can meditate in Christ because all worry is is what you're thinking about. So the more you have his mind, you're not having those thoughts because he doesn't think like that. When bad stuff happens, he's thinking life. And he sees all the what we call bad stuff through his mindset. So he's able to go to the cross because he sees the joy set before him. So he's seeing into the future and it's just now. And that's what we're to as well. So when Paul says he has the mind of Christ, the context is no eye has seen, no ear has heard, has not yet entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. Then he says, but he's shown them to me, which was this morning, yeah? So he showed them to me and I freely speak of them so you can all know them for we have the mind of Christ. So the mind of Christ knows what's in the unseen. You tracking? So if you say you have the mind of Christ, come up here and tell me about the unseen realm. Because the mind of Christ sees into the unseen. So this is the opportunity we have to see behind the wall and live from behind the wall here. So have you seen yourself sitting with Christ on his throne yet? And I don't mean just you know it's written in the book. I mean, have you seen it? Because you heard it. And the revelation of that hearing and seeing is power in you, so you're living. So you drop the things that you might be living for, which are you. You turn and you lay hold of him and start living in accordance to the revelation, which is behind the wall. But see, it's come from behind the wall into the seen realm. So everyone can see you living differently, but what they can't see is your inner realm. And this is when the church gets in trouble, because the church then tries to copy We are the copiers. We need to be the imitators. But you can't imitate unless you have the reality of the person inside, which is Christ in the person. And so creation came from out of the visible. It came from the invisible into the visible. And it's the same with God. God came from an invisible realm called heaven into earth. Did he not? So he is the unseen one. So none of us could see him, could we? He walked the planet. His men were with him, but they couldn't see him, could they? Well, they could touch him and see him, but they couldn't see him. They couldn't hear him. Because what he spoke came from the unseen. Can you hear what I'm trying to say? This is radical. This is like radical. This needs to radically wrap you and get you because it's for you. So how do you get to see the unseen one? You need revelation. Otherwise, you're blinded and deaf to what's right in front of you like they were. Philip. How long have I been with you and you still don't know me? 
three years and you still don't know me. What's he saying? Philip, you don't know me. Jeff, you don't know me. If you've seen me, you've seen my father. Why are you asking for the father? I am the exact glory and the exact representation of my father and I'm in front of you and you keep asking to see my father. Hello, are you blind? Yes, you are. Not physically, spiritually. Are you deaf? Yes, not physically, spiritually. Now I come to wake up, but even Jesus couldn't give revelation. Do you understand that? Jesus, as a man, couldn't give revelation. It was the Father that gave Peter the revelation, wasn't it? Until he died and rose again. Then he opened the minds of the guys on the road to Emmaus. Then he turned. But as Jesus, as a man, God, but man, couldn't give what they needed. Who was the one that was coming that he said would come? And you see your need to know the Spirit of God, not just, oh yeah, i got the Holy Spirit in me. He's a person. He speaks. He reveals. He teaches. He writes. He engraves. He changes. Do you know him like that? Because if you don't, then you're not going to see or hear anything because he's the one that does the work. If he's not doing it, who's trying to do it? You are, and I am, and that gets us nowhere. That's my version of this. Hence, this morning, we're all about when, not why. We're all freaking out about Revelation because we think it's bad stuff, not the return of who, and about Jesus. So if it's the revelation of Jesus, and Jesus is concealed, but he can be known through being revealed, and every promise is in Christ... And we need to look at the back of the book. Who do we need to know? Holy Spirit. We need to know Jesus. And so, yeah, there's three in the one same thing. So the Holy Spirit is going to reveal all the promises that are in Christ because that's where they're all hidden waiting to be revealed. Hence, the back of the book is about Jesus Christ, not bad stuff. I know, Vera, it's a miracle, isn't it? <laughs> But we've made it about bad stuff because we don't look through the eyes of revelation. We try to teach ourselves. And the flesh always gets stuck on the beast and the mark and the this and the that. Oh my goodness, what's going to happen? And you miss the amazing stuff. Now, is that going to happen? Yes. But it's about that big. And there's a marriage covenant hidden and you miss it completely because you're looking at doomsday. We do it all the time because we're looking from the wrong lens because it's concealed. And yet it's an invitation that goes out. It went out. It's been out for a long time. Like we're talking thousands of years. Like it's not new. Man, when God started to show me the stuff, I thought I was seeing new stuff. He said, son, it's not new in me. You just haven't seen it before. Nothing's new in me. It's all finished. It's just new for you. You know what a relief that was? Because I thought I was going mad. Like I'm going, I'm going nuts. I think I'm creating stuff. 
until a book turned up in my letterbox with no name on it and I started to read it and I went, someone else has seen it. I'm not a nutter. <laughs> like it actually gave me license to go, oh my goodness, someone else. And they wrote it down. This is amazing. But the only reason I could have a reference for it because God had shown me it. So I wasn't like trying to learn it through the book. The book confirmed what God had already shown me. And that's what the scriptures do. The scriptures actually just clarify and confirm what you already know that he's showing you. Because you're in the prophetic promise of Jeremiah that said there's going to come a day. It's now. And the Holy Spirit is going to be your teacher. And you will not need a man to teach you. For he will teach you to know God. 1 John 2.28 says the same thing. Hebrews 8. It's everywhere. And so is he teaching you all things, bringing you into the promise of what's at the end, which is going to define the beginning and then everything in the middle? I can speak. Chris can speak. Sam, Mel, whoever, you, we can all speak. But you can't give revelation. You can preach revelation, but you can't reveal. So you're like Jesus, correct? You're like Jesus for three and a half years. He could speak revelation. He taught revelation. He said, guys, come on, but he couldn't give it. Why has God set it up that way? So we need God. If you can give revelation, you become God. And so he protects you from you and me from himself so he can actually be God. And we're trying to be God. Because <laughs> we think we can teach others, and meaning we think we can actually give the thing that everyone needs. And yet it's so clear from scriptures and even in my own life, I don't know how many times I've said the same thing and it still hasn't been heard. And then you enter into conversation with people and they have completely not heard anything. And they're saying the same thing they were saying five years earlier, 10 years earlier, still believing the same thing. And yet this thing is going out, but they ain't hearing it through the Spirit. And so you may well not be hearing anything because it's actually just it's falling on deaf ears. But the opportunity is to hear. So it's not supposed to fall on deaf ears. It's supposed to hit fertile soil. And then the kingdom seed, because that's what it is. It's the kingdom seed. It's the seed of the kingdom. It's the message of the kingdom of God, which is different to the message of John the Baptist. And it's this true transformation of seeing the kingdom established on the earth in the church. Do you realize this is what it means to be a kingdom ambassador? It means to represent God's kingdom called heaven on earth because it's in you. So you may as well be in heaven with God because you're seeing like God sees from heaven. You're like his son on earth. Can you hear me? Like you're one with Christ. Christ was the guy from heaven, came on earth, but lived as he was in heaven, correct? Like the realm in him was not earthly, was it? It's heavenly. Well, guess what? We are sons of Christ, sons of God. We are the same. He calls us brothers. We're supposed to live exactly the same as Christ. So to not is to not know who you are. 
Like you're to love like Jesus. What a promise and an invitation all wrapped up in one. You've been chosen to marry God. That's the reward. Christ is the reward and you spend your eternity this close. Where you will see his face, he will write his name on your forehead, and you will minister to God. Revelation 22.3. It's the promise for the what? The bond servant, which is the same as the overcomer, which is the same as son, which is the same as the nation of Israel, because they're just all words to describe the same people. But you need to know what a bond servant is. Someone who has lost their life, have been given freedom of choice, and have chosen to serve their master, Christ, with their entire life. Never looking back, because anyone who looks back is not fit for the kingdom, and moving towards what is ahead. It's amazing. But if it's not heard, it's just a great Hollywood story. You go, they should be put that in a book. He said, it is. (laughs) it's already in the book. You just don't know the book because we don't know the person maybe who wants to reveal everything within himself. So God simplifies it down and just says, it's all going to be contained in my son. I'm going to take all these laws and all the stuff and I'm just going to put it in my boy. But he's concealed. Moses said, he's the concealed one, and I'm looking at the unseen one. And then the Spirit comes, and now you get to see everything that's in the unseen but seen one. Because that's what faith is, isn't it not? What's faith, Chris? Will I have a drink? Beautiful. Because you've seen it. So for the one that's unseen, you're seeing it. Like I'm looking at Lindley right here. I've seen Lindley. I can describe Lindley. I can, you know, have time with Lindley because I can see her. So you're seeing things. You know things that are in the eternal because the Holy Spirit is writing it, engraving it on your mind and your heart, which is the fulfillment of the Scriptures, which is quite a bit different to just pray a prayer receive Jesus and try and get a whole lot of other people to pray a prayer and receive Jesus and do some works. It's quite a different gospel. That is in there, but it's about that big of a message that's this big. Like when he started talking about marriage, I'm like, what are you talking about? And a bride, I'm going, I'm a bloke, not a bride. Like what are you talking about? I had no Mindset. I had no renewing of the mind when he starts talking about covenantal marriage to me. But all of a sudden, as the Holy Spirit starts taking you through stuff, you start asking questions. And this is why questions are so powerful, because I started to ask, what am I not worthy of if I love another more than you? So Matthew, he says, Greg, if you love your father, mother, brother, sister, your own life, your wife, your children more than me, you're not worthy of me. So I couldn't just let that sit because I'm inquisitive. I always have been. At the age of five, I went, how does my hand work? I don't know, but look at that. And you'd look at it and all the tendons move and then you've cut it, it heals itself. That's pretty fascinating. How does that work? Anybody know? 
So I've always been inquisitive. I remember pulling down the light shade when I was four at home. I grabbed hold of the light shade on the ceiling like this, like a rope thing, got up onto the dining table and just yanked it out of the ceiling. And all the plaster came down and my mum said, Greg, Greg, what are you... And there's scale saxon. Greg, Greg, what are you doing, love? What are you doing? I'm like, I wanted to see what would happen. Covered in plaster. Could have been the end of Greg's signal right there. But I've always been inquisitive and we need to be inquisitive because he says things and I read them and I go, what am I not worthy of if your blood makes me worthy? And he's the one that holds the life behind that question. You start reading things that says, you know, you don't need marriage after the resurrection. Do you know that? Do you know your purposes are sorted after the resurrection? We like to think we're going to sort of know each other and be married. Does it actually say that? No, we come up with this Hollywood stuff. I don't know, but let's not create stuff because it sounds good. But it actually says this, there is no marriage after the resurrection. Why is there no marriage after the resurrection? Have you asked that question? Oh, who knows? Ask the question because the Holy Spirit wants to reveal it. Which means, what's the purpose for my covenantal marriage with my beautiful wife over there? Because after the resurrection, it served its purpose. There could be actually another marriage. And it could be that that marriage, this marriage, is preparing me for that marriage. Well, there's a thought. So God puts two people that are different together, who have the potential to become one while they have the potential to rip each other apart. That's a brilliant plan. Not to man, but it is to God. I'll bring two people from completely two different backgrounds who have gone through two different realities and I'll bring them together in a covenant and then I'm going to see if they'll together work out with the Holy Spirit the great plan of the covenant. I wonder if they'll be able to do it or I wonder if their flesh will get in the way. And it will all be about what they want and getting and getting rather than giving and giving. And I wonder if this guy called Greg Simner will be able to love his wife like I love him. And I wonder whether his wife will be able to submit to him. Ooh, submit. There's a swear word in the world today. My goodness, don't use that word. Do you know what the word means? It means to align. It's not get down there, woman, and serve me. It's actually to align yourself together as one because Danielle is to be beside me, not behind me or in front of me and vice versa. She's to be right beside me. It's called a marriage covenant, but within that covenant of oneness, there is a divine order where the male is first and the woman is second. And the Bible is clear. The woman is the weaker vessel. Ooh, hey, now we're really touching on some things, eh? Thank you. But are we any different? No, but the design is the design, and you have to understand the design through what? Your intellect or revelation? You don't get it through revelation. You become a feminist, or you become a weak male. I tell you, there's so many weak men. Weak men who need to step up but here's the thing, woman, are you a strong head and you shouldn't be a head? And so you keep your man down because if he rises up, all of a sudden you're losing leadership. Yeah. See, we're to be so different in the world 
But we don't even understand the design either because we don't understand the marriage covenant and why God gave us the marriage covenant. And if you did, you'd live for it with wholehearted abandonment. But because we don't, we create what we think it's about and it's all about me getting my thing. And that's not a relationship that has life giving. It's a life that sucks. You suck the life out of the other person when you're supposed to serve the other person. So as a male, my role is to be a subservant at the bottom of the family while I'm at the top of the family. You can be in two places at once. Did you know that? So you are leading, but you're serving. You're a servant, bond servant leader who's actually more concerned for your wife and your children and elevating them up into Christ. You're long-suffering men because you have a love in you because you know the one of love and he is revealing himself in you so you're able to keep your part of the covenant called marriage. Now that all goes to define my marriage with him because if I can't keep it here, I'm not keeping it there because I must keep it there if I'm going to keep it here. There must be a vertical love for there to be a horizontal love. Forget about horizontal love if you're not in vertical love. You'll never do it. So if I take away the vertical cross, there is no cross. The cross is based on the vertical. My love for him, his love for me. The only problem is I don't love God. Until I die and God puts his love in me, now I have a chance at loving everyone of my neighbours like God. Until that point, I'm trying to love God out of my humanity. And that can only take me so far before humanity upsets me and then it ain't love that comes out. So this whole reality is based on getting ready for your eternal marriage, which is actually now because the bride and the spirit now say come. That's cool. Why, Greg? Because every future promise is in Christ. So if I'm in Christ, coming to Christ, that means God is making me right now into the bride. So the bride will love like the groom, yes? So part of the evidence that you're actually becoming the bride, the mature church, is you can love like Jesus. Because the bride, as the co-equal and the co-heir, are going to act the same. So in our marriage, we we govern together. Yes? This is the design. You govern together. You make choices together. There's communication and you make one choice together. Can I throw this out there? If we really were that, do you think on one aspect, women would have needed the vote? Because it's not a woman that's voting and it's not a man that's voting. It's a couple that's voting. See how subtle this is? And what looks like wisdom starts to tear things apart very subtly. Very subtly, you don't even know it's happening because you're standing up for things going, yeah, that's right, that's right, because I need to have a say. No, you have a say because you're one. You're not two, you're one. And this is where it's won or lost in your understanding of what true oneness of spirit actually is. And this is the challenge. When you come into oneness, that's where the life is. The truth that makes you free is not two truths. Now we're back to being double-minded again. 
It's one mind, one truth, one purpose. And if you're in the one God who is three in one, then why do you need everything else? Why are you looking? Like, why are you looking for others to fulfill something that actually He does when you're one with Him? Can you hear what I'm saying? Then you enter into this marriage because marriage is the dine of heaven if you choose or if you choose not to because you're already married, correct? Kids, kids not to, but you're living from oneness. It's rare in the body. Let's just be honest. It's very rare in the body to find a body or into Christians that are one with God who truly abide through power because they have power, resurrection power living in them. Most Christians are actually outside of oneness and they're living in double-mindedness. And so they break God down into compartments and do all this and then try to make it all balance and work, and it never does. Because as soon as something happens outside of that and someone pulls that lever, oh my goodness, we run, COVID hits, and oh my goodness, we're inside for four months, how am I going to cope? What happened to all your boxes? They just got messed up because it's not in you. And we rationalize it all away, and we're supposed to be the most peaceful people like pigs in mud. Well, I'm cool. This is where I live from. Why? Because what's greater in me is greater than what's on the outside of me. So if God is my peace and Jesus is my rest and Jesus is truly my hope, not just in words, but if he's in my reality because I know him, because the unseen is being revealed in, then certainly I live like Christ. How would Christ have been in the COVID? Would he have been lonely because he didn't have... Brotherly contact. He lived that life, didn't he? Hear what I'm saying? I'm not saying it's not good, but that we don't need. Because my need is met. So then it becomes a beautiful thing of want. I'm not trying to suck life out of this man and go, I need him to survive to maintain my sense of peace. I've got Christ who is peace. I've got Christ who is joy. So it's not temporal, it's not of earth. And this is what I'm preaching, is an eternal dimension that can only be known through revelation, through absolute surrender and abandonment to your own life. And you walk as a child, completely emptied of your own will, asking, seeking, knocking, and the Holy Spirit goes, now I'm ready to work with you, now I can work with you. And all of a sudden you start, being elevated above the earth. Because what I just said is above the earth, isn't it? I'll testify. I was at complete, you asked Danny, I was at complete peace in COVID lockdown. I loved it. Yeah, because it's my norm. And I don't say it to boast. I'll boast about my weaknesses. I say it to testify to a reality you and I can be in. At complete peace, because none of my security is based on anything external. It's on him and like when he turned up why are they panicking in the boat because they don't know him he's sleeping so we need to sleep when he sleeps and we need to be awake when he's awake you don't want to be awake when he's sleeping because you're going to look at things and freak out like they were you need to look from here not here Questions. Um, just based on, based on um, the, it seems to me that a lot of what you're saying is based on God's faith, faith, him being faithful, faithful. 
it's based on two things. It's based on your surrender and his faithfulness. So it's not just based on God's faithfulness. It's based on your surrender, your willingness to lose your life. That's your and my part, which we can't do. Can't do that in my own strength. So I need to have something within me that's greater than me that enables and empowers me to lose me. Well, who is it? It's the cross. It's the crucifixion. It's the true power that rose him to release me from me. You see, we looked at this at staff meeting and we were talking about partakers. What does it mean to partake of the cross? Like, if you partake, if you're a participant, there's an engagement, isn't there? It's not passive, it's active, correct? So if you're a participant in a game, you are actively involved in the game. So what does it mean to actively partake in the gospel? It can't be something that's passive where I just make a mental agreement with what Jesus did. That's not partaking of what he did, that's just mental agreement of what he did. So it says there's a partaking of the gospel, Well, what's the gospel? Is it just when Jesus died and rose again? Or is it the entire good news of the entire plan, the macro plan of God? See, we've been taught so much stuff which messes us up. So when the truth is spoken, your head hurts. I can see some of you now going, what is this guy on about? Okay. So what does it mean to partake of the gospel? What is the gospel? It's the entirety of the purpose of God for his people, the good news. Right, so let's start from the beginning. In the beginning was God. And where were your lives? Hidden. Where? In Christ. Okay, so your life is hidden in Christ. And he's concealed. Which means you're concealed. Fair? If he's the concealed one and you're in him, that means he's concealed and you're in him, so you're concealed. So you're born in what? Concealed. No. <clears throat> We've transitioned. Number two, you are born in sin and iniquity. Right, so you're born out of wedlock. You're born now in something else physically, although you were born in Christ before the foundations of the earth. Correct. Are you tracking this? You were in this, you came out of this, and you're now in sin and iniquity. You are no longer in that because you fell out of that into this. That's a problem. And you are dead in sin and iniquity. Correct. Right. How do you get out of this state? Eh? The cross. Okay, so tell me what the cross is. Tell me about your testimony of the cross. Because remember, this is a real state. Like that was real. In Christ, but you didn't know it. This is real in sin. You are dead. So although you're physically alive, you're dead spiritually, correct? Right. So how do you get out of this? Yep. Into this. Okay, you're going to get born again. But what does that mean? But what that, that's just words. Explain what that actually is in reality to me. Because that means nothing to me. Like it does, but it doesn't. I'm a non-Christian. I know nothing. I know I'm in sin. I know my life is messed up. I know I can't access life. I'm stuck in me. Yep, but how does that happen? 
how does that happen? I can't surrender. I'm stuck in the mud. I can't get out. Well, I can't because I'm stuck in the mud. The mud's up there. What do I need? I can't need power. I can't need power to get me out of this and into here. That's the true gospel. The power that takes a man or a woman dead in sin, frees them, not because they make a choice, frees them because power comes in, releases from what I'm in, and then into Christ, back into Christ, which is where I started before the foundations of the earth. Now, here's the challenge. I'm now here, but I have no idea who I am depending on the revelation I got here. I may get a revelation I'm a son. I may not. I just got released from the mud, the quicksand, and now I'm in life. Right, so now what do I need? How do I figure out who I am? If I couldn't get out of that, how do I figure out who I am? I need power upon power upon power through the Holy Spirit to actually teach me who I actually was because I'm concealed. Are you tracking? Over here, I'm concealed from actually who I really am because I'm over there in Christ. So I'm, I don't know who I am. But I know I've got born again. So who's the real Greg? Well, I need the Holy Spirit to reveal who the real Greg is, my real identity, so I can live. Because all I know here is, sure, I got born again and power released me from being a sinner to a son, but I don't know what it means to be a son. I have no idea of the inheritance of sonship. Because actually it's concealed from me but for me. So I need the Holy Spirit to teach me. So if the Holy Spirit's not teaching me and revealing, I know nothing. I'm going to live out what I know, which is, yeah, I'm saved. That's about it. And that's the problem with the body of Christ. So what we've done is we formulate this other thing called the institution and we go build it because we can do that. We can. We can build a lot of things, it's just not eternal things, which means it has no eternal life, but it looks good, sounds good. And that's a massive, massive problem to a people that need to live eternally, on earth, now, walking as Jesus walked in the manner in which he did, because they're abiding in love. See, the Bible says, if you say you know him but can't keep his commandments, You're a liar. Now, I didn't make that up. That's what the Bible says. God doesn't mess words. He says, if you say you know him, you will keep the commandments. So what's the first commandment? With all you are. That's not 99. And that's not even your human love. That's his love being implanted within you. So with the love implanted in you that's growing, you're loving him back with the love he loves you with you. That's what Ephesians 6.24 says when it says, grace to all those who love God with incorruptible love. So that's no longer just, yeah, God loves me, God loves me, because the Bible tells me so. That's awesome. It's not, I love God, I love God, God loves me, I love God, God loves me. I'm so in love with God, I'm laying my life down, living with him and for him. And it's a substance, it's not a saying. It's something in you because that power that released you is the same power that's formation or forming Christ within you. So now you're able just to be the demonstration. But the food source, the substance isn't visible. Like it's not from this visible place. It's from the invisible, concealed, but it's being performed in you. 
Isn't that what 1 Thessalonians 2, 13 to 14 says? Good answer. (laughs) So it says that the Thessalonians received the word of God that came out of the mouth of man. They accepted it. And what did it do? Performed a work where? This is what this means. So the word which built creation, so creation is the manifestation of the word of God, right? So if you're receiving the word of God, you will be the manifestation of the word of God because you're God's creation. You will live the way you're designed to live, which is as a brand new creature in Christ, which is Christ-like. And you'll be able to do what Christ did. You'll love first. You'll lay hands on the sick. You'll prophesy. You'll see dream dreams. You'll have visions. You'll do everything Jesus did, and the Bible says more. We know that one? John? More than. <laughs> oh, we're not just to be these little people that survive life, that turn up and go to services. Mate, we're to be thriving. We're to be a people who are a This is not our country. Our country is the eternal, living on earth through the eternal, waiting to go home and serving while we're here because we're not citizens of here but heaven. And if we don't know that, we ain't going to live that way. And the key is your fellowship, not your function. Fellowship has to define everything. Is the marriage covenant... A functional covenant or a fellowship one? A marriage that's based on function, is it healthy? Is a relationship based with Christ around function healthy? So why do we keep doing it? You know, we're actually scared of fellowship. Why? Why? Stay hidden. I'd rather stay hidden than you all get to know me. <laughs> and you got to get over that, eh? Because what are you doing? You're putting your own relationship with him and others in jeopardy. And it sucks if our past have controlled us and hurt us, especially when it's not even our own fault. If someone else's behavior and actions has caused us to want to hide. But we've got to get past that. We've got to let him in. The only way is to let him in and let him heal. Let him come into the heart. And see, that's the scary thing. It's like I've learned to protect myself to protect me from the world because it hurt me. And you ain't getting in there. He's going, but that's killing you. So you've got to open up and let me. And then you have to believe that what he says is, because he's, I'm never going to hurt you. I'm never going to leave you. I won't do that to you. I'm the opposite. Well, I don't believe that. See how you've got to hear? Because you can hear that intellectually and go like this. And so there has to be this opening up. And that's why Romans 12.1 is all about the heart. Lay your heart down and let me be the surgeon who heals. So you can get up and live. 
But it's not the life you had, it's a brand new life. But see, there's power that needs to heal that. And so there must be an openness and a signing off before you get on that operating table. You have to give God the permission. And that's our problem and our challenge, but our opportunity. And so I love that. Thank you for being so honest. And yet, that's not your position, is it, now? How long have you been here? A few weeks? A couple of months? It's cool. Well, sort of, but, you know, like, yeah, like, it's like, these guys are in. And so what could have been and what could have stopped, these guys have overcome and now are being part and adding. But you've got to get past. See, there's an overcoming. See, it's an overcomer's inheritance. You've got to overcome some things if you want to receive the reward. <laughs> and it's flesh first. The real war, I've said this before, is your inner me. It's not the enemy. It's your inner me through past hurts, thoughts, things that have happened, what you've gone through. And you just have to allow him in. But it's a building work. Any other questions? This is cool. Warren's hungry. (laughs) Yep. It's the prayer of Jesus. Like, everything is, is synced and linked, isn't it? The two become one. Why is Jesus praying for oneness in John 17 when he could have prayed for anything and everything? What does Jesus know that we might not know? The future. So if he wrote the book, if he is the author and the perfecter of the story, do you think his prayer life is going to align to what he wrote? So he's praying in an alignment to what he knows is the story. So he knows because he wrote it. So he knows why oneness is so powerful. He could have prayed for anything, but he didn't. He prayed they would be one. And I'm talking spiritually one, which we're not. We're out of that as a non-Christian. And then you receive the crucified life of Jesus Christ, which kills your will, frees you from you. And now it's about your mind being renewed and no longer living from your feelings. So now you have an opportunity to be perfected in love and in true spiritual oneness. So you actually come into having the same mind, the same love, the same spirit intent on the one purpose. You've become one with Christ and Christ is one with you because you received the resurrection life. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. So it's about not receiving what he did in words. It's about receiving the word in you. Now, receiving the words gets you justified, but it doesn't get you crucified. Have you thought about that? You see, the Jews who believed in Jesus at the start... Whose message did they believe? Okay, John the Baptist's message was a message of what? Repentance of sin and iniquity. Then they rejected the Messiah. 
and walked away when he started speaking, speaking kingdom. So they believed. They were justified because they received the Messiah, the John's message about a Messiah coming to wash in sin and iniquity, correct? Justified by the blood. Believed in Jesus. You can be like this. But actually the inner realm's not changed. So now you've got to receive this born again, crucified reality of power that takes you from being, yes, I agree, that's true. I agree mentally with that, it's right, but there's no transaction here. So I'm still living for me, aren't I? Because if the power didn't come and crucify me, you've got to look at Paul's life. If you want to do it, look at Paul. Why is Paul the one that says, imitate me? Why isn't it Peter? Why isn't it John? Why isn't it anybody? Why is it Paul? Another question. What is it about Paul that God wants you to see? Because you can't copy him. He says, imitate. So look at the man's process. He said, no one taught me the gospel. I didn't receive it from my fellow man. How did he receive it? Of who? So Jesus Christ entered into the man and revealed himself in him. That is very, 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 very different from come to the front. Do you believe what I'm telling you? You just got born again. And then a week goes by and we're like, oh, I don't ever really want to do that. Anyone tracking? What happened to all those people that got saved in that altar call where 150 hands went up and they're no longer here? Do you know that doesn't happen to someone who gets born or who gets crucified? Why? Because the power in them points them in the right direction and you start knowing, I need to be part of a family, man. I know I need to be in discipleship. Something happened. I got changed radically, repointed. Now I'm living differently. That's what it means to get crucified with power. And Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ. The man never got up on a nail and was not nailed, but he was spiritually through power. That's what it means. And the challenge is you can be justified and not have received that yet. So we need to receive that to get free of our self-will, which holds us so we can live. Now, in that moment, your mind might get renewed too. I knew stuff. I'd never read the book. How do I know this stuff? I've never read a book. Never been taught anything, and yet I can preach this stuff. No, not stuff him. Because Paul said, I preach him. I don't preach Judaism. I don't preach the Scriptures. I preach Christ, Christ crucified because I went through Christ, Christ crucified and that's what all the life is. So I preach Him. Not a principle, not a guideline, not Hebrew, not Greek, the person. Do you know the person? And see what it does, it brings you to your knees. It actually brings you to the place of going, gulp. Maybe I've just been brought up around this, but not in him. And that's awesome. Like that's not bad news. That's good news. Because it's now maybe time to get crucified so you can live the crucified life, not just the covered life. It's both, but you can just be covered and not crucified. So Peter and the boys are covered for three and a half years, Yes. They are different men after they got crucified, yes, with power. So can you give testimony to a transformed life through power?
Can you come and go, I remember the day when I got crucified with power. It may just be a mustard seed of power, but you know it because you knew how you lived pre it and you know you love after it. Because when you look at Peter, he is the same guy, but he is a different man. Not because he's smart. He died. He surrendered. He didn't even want to, did he? He was going the opposite way to surrender. But he heard the word when the rooster crowed and the spirit came upon him and bang. He's looking, going. When you're looking in the eyes of love and love's looking back at you and you said everything you're going to do and you can't do any of it and love has not taken its eyes off you and it's locked on you, Do you know that brings someone to their knees? Love is the thing that brings you to surrender, not the law. Love. Because you're looking in the eyes of love and they're not looking away. And there's no shame. And you actually at times you want to turn the other way. Because you know what you're doing or have done. And he's going, that's okay. I've forgiven it. I covered it, but I want to crucify you with love. Crucified in and with love, so we can live love. And this is all part of revelation. This is all part of discovering the identity and actually knowing it is to get ready. It's hard to get ready when you've only been covered. There's a covering and a crucifying and then there's a living questions I don't warrant Ethan hold on mate I'll give you a mic so it can be recorded do you reckon that uh, Jesus likens the process to crucify, uh, crucify your flesh obviously not physically um, because it's a slow, painful process that he takes us through um, to, to do it, like crucifying the world to us. You know, you know what I'm saying? Yep. Yeah. So you have to understand the flesh can be broken into three parts. So there's the will, there's the mind, and then there's the emotions. So if his power crucifies your will which is the operating system of man. That's the driver that's in every one of us. The will to live. yeah. And God has given us that. It's the most powerful thing God has given to man, the will to live. That's why no one wants to die. And that's why you know, if you're in an accident, there's all this adrenaline that pumps up because what's given can do... People can do incredible things to save people, can't they? Because there's this thing in us that's given. Now, the problem is when that's not surrendered and crucified back to God, it gets you in trouble because it's a fallen will. See, we fell out of perfection into unperfection, and that's where I start, in sin. So now I'm poisoned on the inside with my will, my mind, and my emotions, right? So he comes, and he saves my spirit because I'm a spirit, soul, body, comes and saves my spirit, and I must get born again with power in that. So then think about this. 
The Spirit is the inner. The Spirit and the power of the Spirit wants to kill my will and give me a brand new will. Wants to renew my mind and give me his mind. And doesn't want me living for my emotions. So if he's renewing my mind, means I'm getting truth within me, I don't live from my emotions. So when stuff happens, I live from truth. Now, the challenge in all this is the will must be broken and fall upon the rock and be cease to exist. If that hasn't happened, then your will might be bruised, broken a little bit, dented, but it's not dead. And that's the kicker that gets in the way of the church. Because you can't change it. You can't get free of your own will. Someone has to come and sever it and give you a brand new one. And he does that through power. And that's what the cross is all about. So in 1997, my will got crucified. I no longer live for Greg Simnor. I'm not perfect. My mind still needs to be renewed. There were still heaps of things I didn't have a knowledge of in God, but I wasn't now getting in the way of myself. I was free from me. So for nine years, I was stuck in me. I said I'd do this. If God did that, God did that. I did what I wanted. Because I was incapable of actually doing what I said I could do. I was Peter. Peter's not trying to deny him. He thinks he's not going to. That's how pride, proud-filled he was. Okay, That's why I said God does not exalt the proud. He humbles it. But why does he humble it? He humbles it to create humility so then we can live. So there must be a transition between the will and wills before you can actually live out God's will for your life, meaning his will and be part of what he's doing. Okay? So that's the key one that needs to be fall on the rock and get broken into pieces. That happens now there's a real freedom for the mind to be renewed. Okay, so we're back to Romans 12.1 again. Okay? Now we're into Romans 12.2. And so now there comes a hunger and a thirst for something you can't do. See, when your will is broken, you stop trying to acquire knowledge. Because you know it's not the way. Do you understand? You understand how you came into life. I knew I couldn't get free of me. Now, when you get free of you and you know you didn't do it, you know how it happened. I didn't do it. How did it happen? God's power came in. I have knowledge. So now I can live wisdom differently. So I've never tried to acquire human learning knowledge again because I know that's not the way. Why? Not because I figured it out, because I received the way, and in receiving the way, the way, Jesus taught me the way. So if you know that to go to Auckland is north, why would I go south? Because I don't know the way. So if I know the way, I've been altered. So really... It's all about our willingness to surrender as far as really sometimes the, the, the pace of the process. If you say no, 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 no your whole life, then you're determining what can happen because God's going to honour your no. Now at the same time, I can only testify from myself, there's been massive revelation and it's been real fast and then there's been gradual. So it's both. But personally now for me, I'm in such an abiding that I open this thing up and he starts to speak. You know, It's not even hard. And I don't say that to boast. I'm saying that as a testimony of what it can be like. Because the more you've let go, died to your own will, and are now saying, renew my mind, renew my mind, renew my mind, I'm hungry, renew my mind. You're giving him permission 
to actually do what he's called to do, he goes, cool, I've been waiting for that permission forever. So it's about your own decisions, bro. It really comes back to your choice. Let go, let God, and actually it's no longer hard. What's hard is when you're trying to hold on to you and he's saying, let go of you. You know, it's like, well, I want that and that. He goes, well, don't work. Well, you do this and then I'll give you that. That don't work. So that's why he's so patient because he's loved because he waits until you're ready to actually do it his way. It's my way or no way, God says. And just the way it is. But that's awesome. Once you're on the other side of it. (laughs) I agree with you. It's horrible when you're still fighting with them. This is good. Was that a yawn or was that a question? Oh, no. oh, I thought it was a question. <laughs> Any hand, mate, I'll take it. I see that hand. <laughs> Other questions? What are the three revelations that, sorry, what are the three, if there was a hierarchy of revelations, yep. what would be, I don't know, maybe the top one, but I'm talking top three, yep. that you think have set you, or you see that are the yep. ones that you need, like God's love, a revelation of his love. Yep. So the, the, I'll put it this way, yeah. Revelation of God's love is number one, yep. and number two is the purpose for that love. So one is now, and one is future now. And if you can receive those, the love of God is what set me ablaze. So that freed me from me. What I didn't have was the purpose for that love. That came in 2010. So when I've got the love of heaven implanted, not just I know God loves me, when the love came from outside and in and then established its home in my innermost being and I left. Okay, So that's what I mean by the revelation of love. It's uh, Ephesians 3, 14 to 19. Okay, That's the scripture reference. How wide, how deep is this love that goes beyond that the power strengthens the man within So I had that. What I didn't know was the purpose for it. When he showed me the purpose inside the marriage covenant, I fell to my face and wept because it affected the way I led here. And so it was like the two now become one. And that's that oneness thing. Now in that love, out of love comes all the other bits, which are earthly now. Okay? So know a joy, know a peace. Be able then to live that out now while the revelation of the bride, the millennial reign, what's in God's kingdom future is actually future promises which are also now. You check me here. So it's like you're seeing and you've received both, but one is now now and the other one is future now. So I'm not sitting on his throne with him now, but I am. Like, I've seen that, you know? And that's the promise in John 12, 26. If you serve me, you'll be where I am. So where is he now? Sitting next to his Father on his throne. I'm seated in heavenly places, aren't I? No, I'm here on earth. No, I'm in heavenly places with him, but I'm here. I'm in two places at once because I'm spirit and flesh. So I see spiritually here. 
So I'm there, but I'm here, but I'm living out there here. Boom. <laughs> it really, your mind, guys, your mind, you can't understand any of that. Don't even try. Just say yes. And then ask the Holy Spirit to reveal it. Our minds aren't big enough to contain him. I need his mind. Okay? That's why the heart is the place of understanding first, the spirit. So the heart must capture. You know in the Deuteronomy, there's an order in which the great commandment is lived out and where it's written. Okay, So it's one and the same thing. So in Deuteronomy 4, it says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Yeah. So there's this loving element. Okay. So where is it firstly to be written? Heart. Secondly, where? No. Hand. Thirdly, mind. Then where? On your door posts. And then on your gates. You know what that reflects? You and all your property being a commandment-led people. Now here's the thing. Written on the heart, then the hands, then the head. The heart must inform the hands. What do you do with these things, Chris? You work, you build. So the commandment that's written on the heart defines the building work in the kingdom. And the mind's catching up. Now, if the mind defines the hands, you're in trouble because it's your mind saying, this is how we build. When the heart captures it, it's God's mind saying, this is how you build. Hear the difference? Right. Now you want to write it on your doorposts of your house because that's you as an individual. Heart, hands, mind is you. Now you want to put it in your home. So now the commandment must be written on the entrance way to your home. Well, who else is in your home? Your family. So God wants a home that's raised up in the commandment, which is to love God here, here, and then here, and then lived out. Now, what about your property? Because your gates are symbolic of your property. The door, my heart, and the gate is all an access point. Release in, release out. And so you can actually shut the gate and shut God out from writing this on your heart. Because you try to understand it in your head. But that's not the place. And I love the fact that God does everything by design. So he writes it on the heart. The heart informs the hands. The hand is the working part. Hey, leaders, builders, you have to fall upon the rock. Otherwise, you're going to build in your image of me. Isn't that what the Jewish people did? They were builders. They built the temple. God asked for a tenth. They built a temple. And there's these dynamics that go on. The builders rejected the cornerstone. If you reject the cornerstone and the way of the cornerstone and you're a builder, you're going to build him in your image. And there's no life in that for you. Correct? So those two things, eh? love is the number one. That's why love is the greatest. Don't matter if you can move mountains, you can lay your life down, you can run around and do all the function you want. And you, it actually says, if you don't have love, you are nothing. Now that's a severe warning from love. 
And so fellowship, oneness, love must define all the function. So within this marriage covenant, it has to be from love. It can't be from head knowledge. You know, and that's what we see, eh? You know, it's like the gifts without love are dangerous. We crucify people with gifts without love. Because I've got this gift, but it's not defined by love. So I've got a sword called the word, and I just chop Chris to pieces with it. In the name of Jesus, look at me preaching. And poor Chris is in parts. And I go, look at that work. And God's like, yeah, that's not quite what I had intended. It was supposed to build him up. And you've chopped him up. Because it wasn't done from the substance of not my love, his love in me. Great question, Rebecca. I love this. <laughs> Any questions from the side of the room? Me? 100%, bro. I am a mess. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm a work in progress. Look at my shirt, see? Yep. No one is finished. My mind still needs to be renewed. There are things I know I don't yet know. And so that's why I'm so hungry and thirsty to know what I don't yet know. But through the revelation of what you don't know, you get more life. And so you're able to live this overcoming life and you're able to walk in alignment to what he says. And that's the goal, isn't it? Wisdom is the demonstration of Jesus on the earth. It says wisdom is vindicated, which means made right, by her children. So if Jesus is the wisdom of God, and we're the children of Jesus' wisdom, and we're to be proving wisdom, then we need to know Jesus Christ. So the more we know Jesus Christ, our lives are the demonstration of Jesus, which is the wisdom of heaven, which is not the wisdom of the earth. So we don't live like those that crucify Jesus. Why? Because we have the wisdom, because we have the knowledge. So we don't live from the flesh. We live to the spirit because we have knowledge. We know. And that's the kicker, isn't it? To know him for who he really is enables you to live as he lived. To walk in the manner in which he walked, 1 John 2, 6. This is where we really need to know what this says. And where it says it. Because I could just be talking a whole lot of dribble. Like how do you know I'm not making this up? I could be very convincing. I used to sell stuff. (laughs) I did. I was a top salesperson for NZ Safety, hence I got promoted. I was one of their number one salespeople. So I can sell stuff. How do you know I'm talking the truth? I could just be pulling it out of thin air. John 14, 12 says this. (laughs) No one knew that. Look, Look at that one. I made that one up. Like, how do you know? So you need to know like I need to know so we can be one because I could be telling you a whole lot of dribble. I could be leading you down a garden path. So I say, don't just receive what I say. Take it to the Holy Spirit. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal it to you and in you. Okay? And that's why I love this license to challenge, this license to Give feedback to go, hey, I've got another thought. Well, let's talk. Let's dialogue. Let's wrestle. Because the goal is not right or wrong. The goal is oneness. So I'm not here to try and prove I'm right or prove you wrong or vice versa. The goal we want is oneness in 
Christ. And if that becomes the goal, then we can work through the things that we may have been taught that some of us are going, what? You know, that is so opposite to what I was taught. Then let's grapple. Because there can't be two truths. But the truth makes you free. So you have to ask yourself, are you in the life of the truth you believe? And are you able to demonstrate the truth you say you believe? Because there needs to be a demonstration because that's the evidence of it. Now what you will get from me is I'm very confident of the knowledge I have and the ability to live this out. And I know that scares people because it's strong. It's part of the grace gift. I've been called a battering ram. And that purpose is to smash fleshly mindsets that set themselves up as God that are not. Not because I'm smart. That didn't get me in. It was just I died through my own stupidity, got filled with power, got a gift on my life. I now understand the purpose for it, but it's powerful. And so it comes with a full conviction and it's not going anywhere, but it's still defined by humility. And so it's, I get it. I get the reality of this gift and the gifts, but it needs to be for the building of the house that's going to overcome the world. Like the word of God is powerful, eh? But created creation, it's going to build you or it's going to propel you out if you're trying to understand it in your flesh because your flesh wants to run. So it's not you because you're born again of the spirit, but it's still the old man who wants to live. And so the flesh is in opposition to the spirit, Galatians 5. So when the word of the spirit goes out, which is a sword, and it's coming to cut flesh. See, it's like a gun. If I had a gun and went, hey, hey, you're all in trouble, what's going to happen? You're going to try and duck, aren't you? Well, I've got a sword in my hand. It's coming to pierce. And what you have to be able to do is stand there and go, thrust it in. Because I'm so sick of my flesh. Like I've come to the, I came to the end of Greg knowing that there's no life in Greg. I tried to find it in anything but, and God came when I was 19, and he was present for 10 years, and then at 29, I surrendered. Why? Because I realized there was no life in Greg trying to find it in everything but God, and God was faithful and was waiting. And so that's what happens. But see, when your flesh is still alive and the sword comes, it's like a radar. And your flesh just wants to get up and run. But you know, when you do that, it's keeping you and you. So all you're doing is sabotaging you. Self-preservation. Self is supposed to die. You are preserving self. And that's why we do it in a family. So we say, lock the doors. Get the big fellas on the door. No one's going anywhere. It's time to die, which really it's time to live. So who wants to live? For there to be resurrected life, there needed to be what? Can't get out of that one. Jesus was alive spiritually and died physically. We're alive physically and dead spiritually. We're the opposite. So he has to die physically for our spiritual death. 
He has to experience in what we are for a moment in time. Father, why have you forsaken me? He just took off our sin and put it on him. But there needs to be a power transaction where you actually, through revelation, know that. Not know that, but know that through experience. The whole thing is experience. Oh, Greg, but what if my experience isn't of God? Well, that's part of the tension. The whole thing is based on receiving through experiencing an encounter and encounters with God. And then this backs that up. Is that dangerous? You better believe it's dangerous. Because we go, well, that wasn't my experience. Well, that wasn't, that wasn't. And this becomes the thing we look to. No, it's the person you look to who's invisible. And that's full of challenge and risk. And God says, yeah, and that's why I put you together. And that's why I gave you everything contained to life and godliness. And that's why I define how it all works. And so I'm expecting it all to work because I've given you the instruction manual. I've given you everything you need. And if you all do it my way, it'll work. Yes. <laughs> how are we going? Now, I don't think the church is doing too great. For me shirt. <laughs> Chantel. When you first ceased from striving and you um, found that Christ himself being in you was rest and you experienced that rest, the true rest, did you ever um, find that rest being attacked? Like, did anything external um, attack you, whatever it may have been, spiritually or physical, anything external? Did anything try to take that rest from you where you had to hold it, cling to it? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I'm just thinking how I answer this. People who get threatened by a reality you're in don't understand the reality you're in, and so they do a number of things. One of those things they do is they actually physically try to, spiritually, but physically try to take you out. They try to get you removed because you're actually threatening the reality that they don't know. And their perception is they know more than you because they have an intellectual knowledge but not a living knowledge. And so you threaten, the Christ in you actually threatens them, but it's supposed to be for them. And so because it's in you, you're able to minister love and not the Spirit coming at you. And that's what Jesus faced when he turned up. So there's a small portion of the flesh, which is absolutely committed to what it believes is God, which is not God, and it doesn't understand the reality it's looking at. And so what man doesn't understand, he's afraid of, and so he responds differently. And there is a measure of Christians who respond, respond aggressively because they don't know what they're doing. So you know they don't know what they're doing, so there's love and compassion because you have the ability to love because of the rest that's in you. 
not because you're special, but because something's entered into you, and so that threatens them. That's a smaller group. And if I'm being really honest, that tends to be in leadership because people's positions are being threatened by someone that they don't understand and can't see, but God might have sent. Most people will walk away. And so most people walk away from the reality of what it's coming out because they also don't understand it and are afraid and want to maintain their own flesh. And so there's a passive aggressiveness. There's a real aggressiveness, which you can't fault, and it's right in front of you. And then there's a passive aggressiveness, which is way more dangerous. And those people smile at you, say they're with you, but inside are actually doing this and actually backstabbing, lying, telling others that's a whole lot of rubbish. Um, some people justify. So, yeah, there's what we don't understand we're afraid of unless there's a work that's been done. Do they still not know what they're doing? Do they still not know what they're doing? Or do they know if they're lying? Um about it can you. be a bit of both. So people know they're gossiping and saying some things, but at the same time, they think they're doing the right thing or they think that they're right. So it can be a mixture. It's hard to tell. You have to take each individual case. What I truly believe is that if we know, truly know, then we would never do the things that we do. So it's a lack of knowledge. So... They crucified him because they didn't know. They weren't trying to miss him. They actually, and that's that word that I don't have a word for. It's like, you know, it's like you genuinely believe you're right and in God, but you're actually doing the opposite of God, but you're convinced you're right. Yeah, it's crazy. It's like, you know, I don't have that word because it's so deep. And so in Christ, you know that. So, you know, the opposition that I faced, I knew what I was looking at, and I knew my battle was not with the brother or the sister. It was with the powers of blindness trying to break up oneness um, because the point is I pray that they would be one. And so love was here, and it's being formed to be able to stay and try to maintain oneness rather than walk away too. Um, but Hebrews 4.10 is the passage you want to look at too. It says, those who have entered into his rest cease from their works, just like God did from his. That is an absolute key promise waiting to be revealed in our hearts. It's not those who stop working. It's those who enter into rest. Now, rest has a name. Come to me and I will give you myself. I will give you rest for your minds, will. I'm the one. See, it's all about my knowledge of him. So as I enter into that, the operating system ceases to exist that tries to produce works and life and function. 
and it gets redefined. So as that happens, you have a capacity to love on what's not that lovely and minister love as Jesus would. And then you hope all things. Because you can't change the person, but you hope through ministering love, the Holy Spirit might change the person. And oneness would be kept. So that's the whole point, is oneness. That's a great question. It's powerful. And that's the challenge because, you know, like, there is a war between flesh and spirit. There is a war between the institutional model and the kingdom model. And the war starts in you. Like, you're at war with yourself because you've been poisoned with sin and iniquity and flesh. And so that's why the inner me is the battle. We want to make it about the adversary because then we can take it off us. But the battle inside still rages. That's the easiest thing, blame someone else. It's the first thing Adam did. Who did he blame? No, he blamed God. The woman you put me here with. He's pointing the finger at God. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) Yeah, that's a pretty bold move. See what happens when pride and sin enters you? You end up turning around. The pride in you is so strong, you actually start accusing God. Now, love's not covering that. You little punk. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Well, that's in us. So that's what we do. We accuse when we don't understand. We have to defend self-preservation, self. It's, it's got us. And so that's, that's our challenge. And so we have to allow his power, which is him, and you have to ask, seek, and knock, and believe all things, and then wait. There's real power in waiting. And unfortunately, in a world today that can't wait for anything, especially our young children, my goodness, they are being consumed with technology and it's at a fingertip. So you need to know the art of waiting. Go up to that upper room and wait. The Lord renews the strength of those who wait. Joseph, is there a question? Oh, yeah, man. Um, so this is just from Matthew 12.30. Um, whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Therefore, I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And whosoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. I, I, could you just shed some light to that, man? Yeah, the context around that is he's just done a miracle. And so they say to him, you cast out demons by the spirit of the demons. We cast out demons by the spirit of the spirit. So they are, basically what he's saying is, you, if you go down that path, you're in severe trouble. So don't go there. That's blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. You can say things about me and my name and all that stuff. But if you go there, the context is he's casted out the devil through the holiness of the Holy Spirit. And they're actually saying, you cast out by devils. Whoa, that's deep. So just don't go there. <laughs> but that's the context, my understanding around that.
hold on, hold on, mate. Yeah, I just got my um, So just point. in regards to waiting, you spoke, you know, a little bit about that and the importance of it, but can you unpack that a little bit of what that waiting looks like mm. spiritually? Not just sit and do nothing, but can you just unpack that a little bit, please? Yep. Um, it's <laughs> Everything in him is a mystery, eh? You know, because once again, um, you, you, you have to, you ideally want to be in this position where you're not operating out of your flesh. Yeah. So you can try to wait in the flesh. And so you ask for his divine grace to help you to wait. So it's an active reality. It's not a passive thing. It's a very active reality. And it says without discipline, we're really not sons of God. And that we need discipline if we're going to come into righteousness. And so there's this thing around discipline that we need to help us wait. But it's an active thing. So I go, I know I cannot enter into life without the Holy Spirit. I know I cannot understand the mysteries of the kingdom that I've been granted to know. I can't know anything without him. And I know that. So I don't try. So I know he's the answer to all the answers. So then... I posture my, that's a heart posture I have. So then it's like, well, I can't do it, but I know you can. So then I start asking, seeking, and knocking with perseverance. So it's not just a one-off. I'm going to do whatever it takes until I receive because you've told me to come and you're the one who wants to teach me. So I'm here to be taught because you see, come to me and learn. So you have to figure out what that looks like for you. So for me, generally I'm getting up maybe 6, 6.30, and I now go upstairs, and I'll just sit there. I'll put on my headphones, and I'll just play some country. (laughs) I'll play whatever music I want, you know? And I just spin there, and I just, Lord speak, and I'm just thanking him, and just thanking him, really. I'm not asking at this stage for much. I'm just thanking him, you know, and it's just this love thing. And then I'll open this up some days, but I'm in freedom, so, you know, it's like I'll open this up, and then I start to ask him to show me what's here. And all of a sudden, he just starts to show things, and then, like, little nuggets will come. So, you know, my Facebook posts, all those things, they just come out of waiting. So it's like one line, bang, and then a whole word, one word becomes what you see on Facebook. And it's just about positioning and posturing yourself to hear the word and his voice. But it looks different. Like he'll speak when I'm driving in the car. So I'm always waiting. It's, you're never not waiting. Um, I'm never not asking. And yet I'm not necessarily always going, Father, show me today. So the oneness of that is he knows the heart, so he shows. He knows the heart, so he speaks. So there's times when you ask and there's times when you're not, and he's showing you all the time because he wants you to know. But it's an active posture, and when you've entered into rest, it really enables you to wait. So the challenge is getting to that place when you're not in this place of rest And you're sitting there, and all of a sudden you're thinking about work, 
you're thinking about dinner, you're thinking about the kids dancing, and all of a sudden you're like, all these to-do things start coming in your mind, eh? See how the mind is like starting to rob you? And so you have to fight. And you've got to take those thoughts captives, and you have to get a little bit aggressive spiritually. It says, um, what is it? The, the violent take the kingdom by force. So there needs to be a wrestle. And like, I'm sick. I don't want this. Holy Spirit, come on. So there's two really good passages in it's Luke 11 or Matthew 11, Luke 18 or Matthew 18. But the two is when the person comes to the house for bread and he's at midnight. And the one inside's going, I'm not getting up. And he's going, well, I'm not going anywhere because I've got a guest turn. Imagine guests turning up at midnight needing to be fed. So he comes to your house and goes, you've got some bread. And you either get up and give me the bread because I'm not going anywhere. You ain't getting back to sleep. Okay? So there's a perseverance. So it says knock, knock, knock. Now, God's also knocking on your heart, isn't he? Okay. So the other one is also the woman who goes before the judge. And the judge basically gets so sick and tired of her that he gives her what she wants. And I think those are two beautiful truths of perseverance and whatever it takes. So whatever it takes to receive what I'm hearing, because I want to live that out. And of course... In a life that there is so much noise, and if you have kids and other responsibilities, you go, I ain't got the time. Well, you have to make time, because you do have time, but you're choosing to prioritize your time with other things. So there may need to be a reorganization of your life, and so what is five minutes is now 50 minutes, and what you gave 50 minutes to is five. Because you have to say what's more important, God or me and my stuff. That's the challenge. So something in us has to come from within us. I can't give you that. There has to be something rise up in you that wants God more than you want life. And then you position yourself actively waiting for him to reveal. And then it's like you get in a place where it's just like it's full abiding. Do you know? It becomes a joy. It's a way of living. It's no longer, oh, you know what? I've got to do this. It's just like I'm doing it. And it's a joy because you meet him. Like he's there, he's always in you, and then he turns up. So it's three in one, you know? And he speaks from within and he speaks from without. That's cool too. So you get like it's like he's in me, speaking from within me, writing it, and then he also speaks from outside as well because he's everywhere. Um, so that's a little bit about what I do, but also I think it's just you know it's, it's a it's a way in which we live and pray and pray and pray, and if you need to fast, fast. Like if he says fast for it, fast for it. Like what are you prepared to do? You know, you're prepared to like not go without X, Y, and Z for three weeks. Well, that's a big ask. Well, how much do you want it? And let's be honest, we'll prioritise what we want. Hey, you know, we will. Whatever it is, what we want, we prioritise and we make happen. So that's our challenge. Are we done? Okay, your one question, Warren. You want my shirt? No. 
it's just the presence of God on a person. So the presence holds the anointing. The anointing is in the presence. And so God's presence that's in a person comes on a person, anoints that person. And, and one aspect, is, once again, the duality is, is we're to always be in anointing, meaning always in the presence of God because the glory of God is to be manifested within us and coming forth from us. But the presence or the anointing is also for function as well. So God can grace a person for a particular task as well. So it's both. And so if the light of Christ is being formed within us, then we have his anointing. We're always in that. We're always in his glory. And then ministering from that as well. And so there can be an anointing for certain things that God wants to do. You know, sometimes there's an anointing in a meeting and a gathering for healing cancer. And so there's like, bang, you know. And so that's the power of moving. But at the same time, it's not like we then leave and now we're empty vessels. And so we're waiting for the next anointing. It's like we're to be anointed. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to preach the reality that I'm in. So it's not a one-off, it's always living in and from, and then there is extra. Full, overflowing, always ready, moving, when he says. It's the full vessel, pressed down, and overflow. Awesome? Okay, let's pray. Well, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for who you are. And we just have released the fragrance of the knowledge of you tonight. Lord, reveal what has been spoken as we marinate in you. Lord, I pray we'll have an amazing week and we'll wait on you and seek you for everything that's in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a good week, guys.